Chapter forty seven of the Fortunes of Glencore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Fortunes of Glencore by Charles James Lever. Chapter forty seven. A fragment of a letter long before lord glencore had begun to rally from an attack which had revived all the symptoms of his former illness billy trainer had perfectly recovered and was assiduously occupied in attending him almost the first tidings which glencore could comprehend assured him that the boy was safe and living at massa under the protection of the chevalier stubber and waiting eagerly for billy to join him a brief extract from one of the youth's letters to his warm-hearted follower will suffice to show how he himself regarded the incident which befell and the fortune that lay before him it was a long swing on a dark night too master billy and whenever the arm of a tree would jostle me as it floated past i felt as though that blessed courier was again upon me and turned to give fight at once if it were not that the river took a sudden bend as it nears the sea i must infallibly have been carried out but i found myself quite suddenly in slack water and very soon after it shallowed so much that i could walk ashore the thought of what became of my adversary weighed more heavily on me when i touched land indeed while my own chances of escape were few i took his fate easily enough with all its dangers it was a glorious time as hurrying downward in the torrent through the dark night the thunder growling overhead the breakers battering away on the bar i was the only living thing there to confront that peril what an emblem of my own fate in everything a headlong course an unknown ending darkness utter and dayless darkness around me and not one single soul to say courage there is something splendidly exciting in the notion of having felt thoughts that others have never felt of having set footsteps in that untracked sand where no traveller has ever ventured this impression left me as i buffeted the murky waves and struck out boldly through the surfy stream nay more it will never leave me while i live i have now proved myself to my own heart i have been and for a considerable time too face to face with death i have regarded my fate as certain and yet i have not quailed in spirit or flinched in coolness no billy i reviewed every step of my strange and wayward life i bethought me of my childhood with all its ambitious longings and my boyish days as sorrow first broke upon me and i felt that there was a fitness in this darksome and mysterious ending to a life that touched on no other existence for am i not as much alone in the great world as when i swam there in the yellow flood of the magra as the booming breakers of the sea met my ear and i saw that i was nearing the wide ocean i felt as might a soldier when charging an enemy's battery at speed i was wildly mad with impatience to get forward and shouted till my voice rang out above the din around me how the mad cheer echoed in my own heart it was the trumpet call of victory was it reaction from all this excitement the depression that follows past danger that made me feel low and miserable afterwards 
I know I walked along towards Lavenza in listlessness and when a gendarme stopped to question me and Asked me for my passport. I had not even energy to tell him how I came there Even the intense desire to see that spot once more to walk that garden and sit upon that terrace all had left me it was as though the waves had drowned the spirit and left the limbs to move unguided he led me beside the walls of the villa by the little wicket itself and still i felt no touch of feeling no memory came back on me i was indifferent to all and yet you know how many a weary mile i have come just to see them once more to revisit a spot where the only daydream of my life lingered and where I gave way to the promptings of a hope that have not warmed this sad heart What a sluggish swamp has this nature of mine become when it needs a hurricane of passion to stir it Here I am living breathing walking and sleeping But without one sentiment that attaches me to existence and yet do I feel as though whatever endangered life or jeoparded fame would call me up to would call me up to an effort and make of me some value to myself I went yesterday to see my old studio sorry things were those strivings of mine false endeavors to realize conceptions that must have some other interpreter than marble forms are but weak appeals words are coarse ones music alone my dear friend is the true voice of the heart's meanings how a little melody that a peasant girl was singing last night touched me it was one that she used to warble humming as we walked like some stray waif thrown up by memory on the waste of life so then at last i feel i am not a sculptor still as little with all your teaching am i a scholar the world of active life offers to me none of its seductions I only recognize what there is in it of vulgar contention and low rivalry I cannot be any of the hundred things by which men eke out subsistence and yet I long for the independence of being the arbiter of my own daily life What is to become of me say dearest best of friends say but the word and let me try to obey you What of our old plans of savagery? the fascinations of civilized habits have made no stronger hold upon me since we relinquished that grand idea neither you nor i assuredly have any places assigned us at the feast of this old world life nor have bidden us to it nor have we even the fitting garments to grace it there are moments however one of them is on me while i write wherein i should like to storm that strong citadel of social exclusion and test its strength who are they who garrison it are they better and wiser and purer than their fellows are they lifted by the accidents of fortune above the casualties and infirmities of nature and are they more gentle-minded more kindly-hearted and more forgiving than others this i should wish to know and learn for myself would they admit us for the nonce to see and judge them let the bastard and the beggar sit down at their board and make brotherhood with them i trow not billy they would hand us over to the police and my friend the courier was not so far astray when he called us vagabonds if i were free i should of course be with you but i am under a kind of mild bondage here of which i don't clearly comprehend the meaning 
the chief minister has taken me in some fashion under his protection and i am given to understand that no ill is intended me and indeed so far as treatment and moderate liberty are concerned i have every reason to be satisfied still is there something deeply wounding in all this mysterious consideration it whispers to me of an interest in me on the part of those who are ashamed to avow it of kind feelings held in check by self-esteem good heavens what have i done that this humiliation should be my portion there is no need of any subtlety to teach me what i am and what the world insists i must remain there is no ambition i dare to strive for no affection my heart may cherish no honourable contest i may engage in but that the utterance of one fatal word may not bar the gate against my entrance and send me back in shame and confusion had i of myself incurred this penalty there would be in me that stubborn sense of resistance that occurs to every one who counts the gain and loss of all his actions but i have not done so in the work of my own degradation i am blameless i have been told that a certain princess de sablukov is to arrive here this evening and that i am to wait upon her immediately good heavens can she be the thought has just struck me and my head is already wandering at the bare notion of it how i pray that this may not be so my own shame is enough and more than i can bear but to bear witness that of i can you tell me nothing of this but even if you can the tidings will come too late i shall have already seen her i am unable to write more now my brain is burning and my hand trembles so that i cannot trace the letters adieu till this evening midnight i was all in error dear friend i have seen her for the last two hours we have conversed together and my suspicion had no foundation she evidently knows all my history and almost gives me to believe that one day or other i may stand free of this terrible shame that oppresses me if this were possible what vengeance would be enough to wreak on those who have thus practised on me can you imagine any vendetta that would pay off the heart-corroding misery that has made my youth like a sorrowful old age dried up hope within me made my ambition to be a snare and my love a mere mockery i could spend a life in the search after this revenge and think it all too short to exhaust it i have much to tell you of this princess but i doubt if i can remember it her manner meant so much and yet so little there was such elegance of expression with such perfect ease so much of the finest knowledge of life united to a kind of hopeful trust in mankind that i kept eternally balancing in my mind whether her intelligence or her kindliness had the supremacy she spoke to me much of the harleys ida was well and at florence she had refused Warnsdorf's offer of marriage and though ardently solicited to let time test her decision persisted in her rejection whether she knew of my affection or not i cannot say but i opine not for she talked of ida as one whose haughty nature would decline alliance with even an imperial house if they deemed it a condescension and that the refusal of Warnsdorf may have been on this ground but how can it matter to me i am to remain here a week i think they said sir horace upton is coming on his way south and wishes to see me but you will be here with me ere that time 
and then we can plan our future together as this web of intrigue for so i cannot but feel it draws more closely around me i grow more and more impatient to break bounds and be away it is evident enough that my destiny is to be the sport of some accident lucky or unlucky in the fate of others shall i await this and they have given me money and fine clothes and a servant to wait upon me and treated me like one of condition is this but another act of the drama the first scene of which was an old ruined castle in ireland they will fail signally if they think so a heart can be broken only once they may even feel sorry for what they have done but i can never forgive them for what they have made me come to me dear kind friend as soon as you can you little know how far your present reconciles me to the world and to yourself ever yours c m this letter billy trainer read over and over as he sat by glencore's bedside it was his companion in the long dreary hours of the night and he pondered over it as he sat in the darkened room at noonday what is that you are crumpling up there from whom is the letter said lord glencore as billy hurriedly endeavoured to conceal the oft perused epistle nay cried he suddenly correcting himself you need not tell me i asked without forethought he paused a few seconds and then went on i am now as much recovered as i ever hoped to be and you may leave me to-morrow i know that both your wish and your duty call you elsewhere whatever future fortune may betide any of us you at least have been a true and faithful friend and shall never want as i count upon your honesty to keep a pledge i reckon on your delicacy not asking the reasons for it you will therefore not speak of having been with me here to mention me would be but to bring up bitter memories in the pause which now ensued billy trainer's feelings underwent a sore trial for while he bethought him that now or never had come the moment to reconcile the father and the son thus mysteriously separated his fears also whispered the danger of any ill-devised step on his part and the injury he might by possibility inflict on one he loved best on earth you make me this pledge therefore before we part said lord glencore who continued to ruminate on what he had spoken it is less for my sake than that of another billy took the hand glencore tendered towards him respectfully in his own and kissed it twice there are men who have no need of oaths to ratify their faith and trustfulness you are one of them trainer said glencore affectionately billy tried to speak but his heart was too full and he could not utter a word a dying man's words have ever their solemn weight said glencore and mine beseech you not to desert one who has no prize in life equal to your friendship promise me nothing but do not forget my prayer to you and with this lord glencore turned away and buried his face between his hands and in the name of heaven muttered billy to himself as he stole away what is it that keeps them apart and won't let them love one another sure it wasn't in nature that a boy of his years could ever do what would separate them this way what could he possibly say or do that his father mightn't forget and forgive by this time and then if it wasn't the child's fault at all where's the justice in making him pay for another's crime sure enough great people must be unlike poor craters like me 
in their hearts and feelings as well as in their grandeur and there must be things that we never mind nor think of that are thought to be mortal injuries by them ay and that is reasonable too we see the same in the material world there's fevers that some never takes and there's climates some can live in and no others can bear i suppose now said he with a wise shake of the head pride pride is at the root of it all some way or other and if it is i may give up the investigation at onst for divil a one o me knows what pride is barring it's the delight one feels in construing a hard bit of a greek chorus or hitting the meaning of a doubtful passage in old ischlus but what's the good of me puzzling myself if i was to speculate for fifty years i'd never be able to think like a lord after all and with this conclusion he began to prepare for his journey end of chapter forty seven